Yeah, that's right. You know the sound. Massacre Radio is in full effect. I'm your host, Members Only Dave, and boy, do we have a big show planned for you. As later on, I'll be catching up with Ted Nicolau himself, the man, the myth, the legend. He was kind enough to chat with me, so that's going to be fun. You know, on the topic of Ted Nicolau, I didn't tell him this during our discussion, but I thought about it a little bit and realized I've shown the movie Terror Vision to at least three of my past girlfriends. Not sure what that even means. It's just an interesting realization. Life is just funny like that sometimes, you know? Anyway, right now, to start the show, we're speaking with Seeger Dixon. He was a producer on Subspecies 5, as well as some other projects you may have heard of. I'll let Seeger tell you all about it coming up right now. This is Master Radio. And joining me now on the Massacre Radio Hotline is our first guest, Seeger Dixon. He's a producer on Subspecies 5, and you may also recognize him from his time in the band Gravesick. Seeger, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for your time. Doing pretty good. How you doing? Everything is fine. You know, we got to talking before the interview, and you said you had been working in the film industry for about 11 years now. Looking back to when you first started, knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your old self who just got started? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, well, when I first got started, it was with a, uh, a little company called Troma Entertainment. From then on, I've been working with more little companies like Full Moon Pictures um, with some species. Um, in terms of advice, I would just say just keep going, keep finding solutions, keep finding answers. There's always possibilities for stuff, whether you're in you know Buffalo, New York, trying to find art department stuff or in Serbia, trying to find locations for subspecies. You know, there's always a solution to something. You know, it's funny. You mentioned Troma, and I noticed on your IMDb page that you are credited as the second unit co-director on Return to Newcomb High, a.k.a. Volume 2. Talk about some of the things you learned in your time working alongside Lloyd Kaufman and maybe something in your time around him and his workflow that caught you by surprise. I, it's, it's a saying that everyone has said, but everything I've learned about filmmaking, I've learned from Lloyd Kaufman. He's an absolute genius um, the way that he's able to take chaos and construct it in a manner that still keeps its energy, but still, you know, works on screen is is amazing. He's very good at, you know, knowing when to rattle the saber and knowing when to keep calm. And that's something that I try to, you know, implement while I'm still working in the industry. I couldn't praise Lloyd more. I mean, he's just, he's an amazing person to learn from. Now, while I was doing research for this interview, I came across an interesting nugget. It says here, you are a big milk drinking aficionado. So I got to ask, what's the deal with bagged milk in Canada? Have you tried it? And how does it hold up to milk here in the States? Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm the, the hugest milk drinking aficionado, um, I, but I do I do try to drink a good bit of milk. In, in the Balkans, I don't really drink milk. Um, what they do, which is pretty popular, is they have this drinkable yogurt. So that's where I get my, my fats, my lactose kick, is for breakfast. You know, they have like this very nice, thick, drinkable yogurt that's uh, it's made from goat's milk, I believe, which is pretty solid. Now, aside from your work in film, I know you were also in a band named Gravesick. What else can you tell us about the band? Yeah, so we're a three-piece kind of traditional death metal band. We released our first album, Gravesick, on Bandcamp last year. You can look it up. It's uh, one word, Gravesick. Um, yeah, it was a great experience. We worked with uh, Ryan from Growl House um, in Long Island City. 
He's uh, an amazing bass player in his own right. And we, since then, unfortunately, our drummer um, has to part ways. He left New York City. Um, but me and the guitarist in the band are actually working on a new project, which kind of has vibes from uh, from Iron Age and like those types of bands, um, like the fantasy, hardcore, you know, death metal vibes. Now, as someone who has actually worked on movies, I wanted to get your pulse on practical effects. Of course, CGI can be helpful if used correctly, but what is your attitude on CGI versus practical effects in general? I mean, they can really drive up the cost, practical effects that is, but don't you think it's worth it in the end? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think where we're at is this, is this cool place in the in, in technology where we can take the aesthetics of practical effects and then also take the logistics and easy workingness of CGI and kind of combine them so that we're able to do a lot of really cool stuff. Worked on a few movies in the last couple of years where all the effects are practically done, but then we have VFX that you know boost the, the production value and make them much easier to shoot so that way you're not spending 10 hours on a decapitation scene you can have quick effect and then it have it be supplemented in post and still have an amazing result in the end seeger dixon is my guest he was a producer on subspecies 5 and he was also in a band called gravesick now also while i was doing research for this interview i found out that you are the assistant director on the joe bob briggs show how does working on a show like that differ from working on a major motion picture like subspecies 5 well, with the Joe Bob Briggs show, um, if we're speaking completely kayfabes, it's great. It's shot live on location in a drive-in movie theater in Texas. And Joe Bob Briggs says everything off the top of his head. Nothing is pre-written. Nothing is pre-planned. And we just kind of press record and he, let him, he lets his magic just flow. And we have uh, amazing content that comes from it. Seeger, I know you like to work out. So tell me, what are you benching these days? Oh, pff, my bench is not great at all. I'm uh about like 225 right now. How about a directorial debut from yourself? When can folks expect that? I mean, is it something you are actively working towards? Yes? Um, yeah, I mean, that would be obviously the goal, you know, coming from film school and, you know, having those, you know, aspirations as a young filmmaker. I'm starting to work more into writing scripts. So hopefully some of those projects get produced in the next couple of years or so and eventually you work our way into like a writing directing sort of situation. So you finished Subspecies 5 and you were able to work alongside Ted Nicolau, who's also going to join us later in the show. You know, spending time with him, seeing how he interacts with the rest of the crew. How would you describe his style on set? Ted is one of the best problem solvers that I've ever worked with. You, know, you talk about directors with vision and you know all the planning and storyboards and the pre-production stuff, but you know a true veteran, a true talented director, those decisions are made on set. When they see issues and they have problems, or you know if they're behind the, on the day, the decisions that they make on set to catch up and to still have their vision and still finish on time, that's really where Ted comes in, and he's he's a mastermind with that kind of work. I'm going to go ahead and ask you flat out, why should people go see Subspecies 5? Really sell it to me here. First of all, it's got some of the best cinematography in any movie made by, you know, Full Moon Features in the last 20 years or so. Um, it's, it's a real throwback to, you know, the heyday of Full Moon in the 90s. It's amazing. We have incredible locations shot on location in Serbia with production services provided by Pioneer Media. It has a wonderful art department that pulls from, you know, the original subspecies series. It also has the original subspecies cast. Very rarely do you have a requel 
shot 20 years later that still has the originals and they hold up you know they're amazing there's no loss of heart that the first four films have when it comes to subspecies five seeger if people want to connect with you on social media how can they do so Oh, you could probably find me either on Twitter or Instagram at Flock of Seegers. I'm sorry, did you say Flock of Seegers? That's uh, that's good. I like that. Flock of Seegers. Seeger Dixon, thank you so much for your time today. Appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. the new face of psychological horror. You don't know where and you don't know when, but you know it's out there. Don't get left alone in the dark. Evil Tree taking root this summer. Hi, I'm Nathan Stabler, and I'm a real estate investor. I've got boatloads of cash, and I'm desperate to purchase your house. I'll buy any property. I buy condemned houses, drug activity houses, flop houses, bounce houses. I even buy murder houses. Has someone been brutally murdered in your house? I want it, and I'll pay cash fast. Do you have what I'm looking for? Call me at 578-22513. That's 578-22513 to sell your house for cash. Kids, food's almost done. Hey, I hope you like your ribs medium rare there, Bob. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Massacre Radio. Just a juicy rib for a juicy show. And joining me now is none other than acclaimed film director Ted Nicolau, who you may know from movies like Terror Vision and most notably the Subspecies franchise, which he recently completed production on and released subspecies five ted thank you for your time today how are things out there on the west coast hey thanks david uh things are pretty sweet compared to the rest of the country in terms of the weather it's cool and cloudy here so i'm feeling very sorry for my friends back in texas i want to start from the beginning because i know before you became a director you had spent some time in music being a part of numerous bands, including Ramona Ramon and the Four Daddios. And I guess my question is, are there any recordings from your time in the Four Daddios or other music ventures you had prior to becoming a director? You know, I started out as like a folk singer in coffee houses in Dallas where I grew up. And when I went to Austin, some friends of mine and I started Ramona Ramona and the Four Daddios. And we were like kind of a psychedelic oldies band and played frat parties and hippie parties and all the kind of hippie music venues that existed in Austin at the time. There is a Ramon and Ramon and the Four Daddios Facebook page, and I believe there's some audio of one of our performances. We were a little crazy, and, you know, some people were on acid, and some people were on downers, and some people were on speed, and so the <laughs> the rhythm of the band was not always spot on, you know, but we were fun to watch. Basically, that was my musical career, and when I discovered film, I sort of just went whole, whole force toward film. I'm sure by now it's common knowledge that you did sound for a movie called, let me check my notes here, hang on, uh, I had it written down earlier, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, yes. I don't so much want to ask you about that experience because it's well-covered ground, but my question is, how long after working on Texas Chainsaw did you realize just how big of a deal the whole thing was and the enormous influence the film had on the genre and the film industry as a whole? 
You know what? When we were making uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we were not aware that it was going to be all that good. And it wasn't until we saw the finished film and it actually went out in theaters and created such a big reaction that we realized that we were involved in something that was actually kind of groundbreaking. And the fact that it's lived on through all these years and so many incarnations and still the first one is, I think, the most authentic and frightening version of the story. I mean, looking back, it's got to be pretty cool to know you worked on something that was so influential and regarded as such a classic. Yeah, definitely was. I mean, you know, I was a sound man, so didn't really call on a lot of my creativity, just more of my technical abilities and um, patience in the heat, you know. Now, before you got the chance to direct your first film, you had worked on some as an editor with films like Roar, Tourist Trap, and Ghoulies, but I want to focus on Roar for just a second. It is absolutely one of the most notorious and infamous films from any genre due to its nature, and it's my understanding that while you were working as an editor on the film, you were actually on set for one day. Talk a little about that experience, being amongst all that chaos, and what was that like? <laughs> yeah, basically, I was uh, stuck in the cutting room all the time editing scenes, and one day, somebody came in and said, hey, you know how to run a Nagra. We need a second sound man on the set. So I kind of went out there not suspecting what was going to be going on on that set that day. And basically, they had a, a chain link fence separating the crew area from where the lions and tigers were going to be. And the chain link fence ran down to the water of the little lake that they had created for the set. Noel Marshall, the director, producer, star of the film, gave me a wooden cane and said, if any lions come here, come over on this side, just hit them in the face with a cane. And that was basically the lion training advice on that movie. So when uh, they rolled cameras and called action, let the lions loose, the lions were kind of running on the far side of the chain link fence. They just jumped in the water, swam around the fence, and suddenly were all over the crew area. And so I grabbed my cane and was ready to defend myself. And Noel Marshall, screaming and cursing as he always did, came running over and grabbed my cane out of my hands and went chasing after the lions and tigers. So after that day, I kind of vowed never again to go on that set. I had asked my producers if they had any questions they'd like me to ask you, and all they could come up with was ask him what kind of guy he was in the 80s. So, Ted, I ask you, what kind of guy were you like in the 80s? Were you like a punk rock guy? Were you into New Wave? What kind of motif are we talking here? Basically, we went to punk shows, but not to the super down and gritty punk shows. We were new waivers and um, went to Club Lingerie and in L.A. here and saw a lot of great bands. And that's where I was first introduced to the Fibonacci's and where I saw Mary Warren off kind of hanging out every weekend. But, yeah, we, we went to, you know, we saw X and we saw Wall of Voodoo. And, you know, we were pretty active band watchers at the time. You know, I couldn't get you out of here without asking you a thing or two about Terror Vision, which was the first film you had the chance to direct. The biggest thing that always stood out to me was the production design and set decoration by Giovanni Natalucci. I guess just talk a little bit about his influence on the set design, any input on it you might have had, and overall how it contributes to the film's tone. 
when Giovanni Natalucci was first uh, proposed to me as a, the uh, production designer on the film, he came out to Los Angeles and we spent a few days together looking through location booklets with photographs of various locations in the valley and talking about kind of porn houses of the valley and talking about basically the, the way that the set should be kind of an expressionistic uh, vision of uh, Stan Putterman. And uh, he took all of that and kind of went back to Italy and started designing sets. And it really wasn't until I flew over to Italy to start pre-production and walked on the sets that I realized what a complete madman he was and how much detail he gave that set. It was all on a soundstage and the kind of Roman bath jacuzzi and the little bar that he created. It was truly amazing. And the artwork on the walls, the erotic artwork, which I stupidly did not bring any of that home. Oh. With me. I wish I had. <laughs> but yeah, he was an incredible person to work with because he gave you so much more than you could have ever imagined. And that was kind of the whole case with that whole movie, the cast. <clears throat> the cast gave me more than I could have imagined. And the sets were more, the director of photography was more, the monster was more. That movie got plussed every step of the way. While we're talking about Terror Vision, and it's hard to mention the film without mentioning one of the great character actors, not only of his time, but ever, in Garrett Graham. But I want to ask you about another well-known character actor from the film, John Grise, who of course played O.D. What do you remember most about working with John Grise while shooting Terror Vision, and do you still keep in contact with him? John Grise was really incredible. He came into the to his audition and just nailed it so well. And he was like much older than the character was supposed to be, but he was so damn funny that it, it was undeniable he had to have the role. He was a super serious actor and was always kind of questioning the tone of the of his performance and not wanting to go too big. And, and the funny thing is that all of his performances are kind of big, you know, even in later years. He was really fun to work with and just brought so much goofy life to that character we'll be back with more from ted nicolau right after this in the beginning there was vhs and beta then dvd and now in the 21st century thanks to the advent of modern technology we have streaming with thousands of titles all at your fingertips sometimes it's hard to find something even halfway decent to watch but it doesn't have to be Introducing SubGenius.tv, the only streaming service you need with hundreds of hand-picked titles at your convenience. Titles like The Pink Ladies, Corruption, and Night Terror. You'll never run out of interesting cinema to consume at home ever again. SubGenius.tv has it all, and then some. Besides, who has the space to store physical media anyway? Streaming is the future, and SubGenius.tv is here to pave the way. Don't be a coward. Sign up today with plans starting at $5.83 per month. SubGenius.tv. Don't make us tell you again. Cigarettes. The more you smoke, the better you feel. <coughs> Your own trade, my dear. What is that anyway? It appears less than grotesque. Absolutely maddening. It's what she ordered. Here, have a bite. Well? You know, it's not at all what I thought it would be. Massacre Radio. Have a bite. Delightful.
Members Only Dave back here with you on Massacre Radio speaking with Ted Nicolau. Let's get back to your writing as it pertains to comedy. I know that your student films were more rooted in comedy than anything else, and you were also involved with writing Assault of the Killer Bimbos, which is a comedy. So my question is, why is it that you didn't make more comedies throughout your career? Was that a choice that you made, or was it just how things shaped out? You know, I, I set out to, to make comedies and movies of all genres and gradually just sort of fell into horror and fantasy films. And I don't really consider myself a complete horror director, but more of a fantasy director. I love writing comedies, and I've got screenplays for comedies that I've never been able to get the money for. Assault of the Killer Bimbos, it started out as a script by Anita Rosenberg and her writing partner. and It needed some, I guess, uh, Charles Band and Debbie Dion felt like it needed some additional comedy to it. So I kind of took that and in two weeks of just a marijuana-fueled writing madness, you know, kind of turn that script around. But yeah, I love writing comedies. There's nothing more fun than kind of making people laugh. What were some of your earliest comedy influences? Huh. That's interesting. I think, uh, you know, my biggest influences were probably like the classics, you know, and um, of all of the classic comic filmmakers, of course, the Three Stooges was like, you know, just uh, ingrained in my childhood. Mm -hmm. But I also just loved uh, W.C. Fields. W.C. Fields, for me, trumps Charlie Chaplin any day. That was kind of it. And, you know, when I was growing up, I was more into sci-fi movies and horror films as, as a teenager. You know, I don't remember a lot of comedies from my teenage years, actually. So it was mostly the old classic. The little Rascals loved them, too. Let's fast forward a bit to the new millennium. You were working on stuff like The Horrible Dr. Bones, Urban Evil, and The St. Francisville Experiment. I know in an interview you once referred to this period of your career as somewhat of a chance to reinvent yourself. Talk a little bit about that time in your career and then coming through it, what you learned most about those experiences. You know, there was a period when we were doing Terravision and then Subspecies and then Dragon World where all of us that were working at Empire and Full Moon felt like we were going to rise and, you know, Charlie was going to make studio movies and we were all going to kind of rise simultaneously. And when the kind of financial crash hit and, and Full Moon was no more for a while and then kind of struggled out by making super low-budget six-day shoots, it was not my thing, and, and I really, you know, I sort of need time because I sort of have cinema in my brain and want shots to be interesting and want to shoot as many takes as necessary to great, get great performances. But I sort of needed to work and love to work so much that I was like, okay, let me try and see if I could do a movie in six days or nine days. And I think uh, Ragdoll was one that was we had just enough time and just enough steady cam and and. Uh, Mac Alberg, who's director of photography, and an incredible cast of black actors, we were able to do something that I feel like sort of reflected what I'm capable of doing. Then uh, Horrible Dr. Bones came along, and it was like even a shorter schedule and more difficult shoot. And I felt like that was kind of not where I could thrive. And, and mm -hmm. So basically, I needed to reinvent myself and had some friends who were making like documentaries for the Disney company. And so I kind of took about 10 years and, and 
backed away from the super duper low budget horror films and did documentaries and told the stories of Walt Disney and his artists. And it sort of uh, brought me back into loving movies again. Then I got the opportunity to do Subspecies 5 and kind of really poured everything that I had learned over those years into that film. Throughout your career, you've worked with countless, and I mean countless, legends and icons in the industry. But I want to know, who is an actor that you'd love to work with that you haven't had the opportunity to do so yet? Oh, man, there's just too damn many of those, you know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like probably my life is going to be working in, in kind of independent movies. And so to, to think of movie stars, I, I would love to work with Nicolas Cage because I think he's like a, a man who can bring a lot to any role that he plays, you know. I think I heard you on record as saying that you aren't the biggest fan of remakes these days, but I can't help but wonder if you were to take Terrorvision and remake it for a modern audience, what things do you think you would do differently and what would that look like? Oh, I think, uh, you know, I've given it a little bit of thought if we were going to kind of do a sequel or a remake of Terrorvision and Terrorvision streaming, you know, sort of opens up a lot more possibilities for the Hungry Beast to kind of make his assault on humanity. And the uh, it, it could be really fun to kind of take on the current kind of studio executives of streaming services and the kind of corporatization of, of movie making. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of ideas that could swirl around that film and you know of course it would have to be in the same way that television kind of assaulted all the 80s stereotypes of, of people you know we would have to take on influencers rock stars and celebrity and you know it would be really fun to come up with the screenplay for that film Ted Nicolau is my guest. Got a few more questions, then we'll get you out of here. Let's talk about subspecies. What is it about the series in particular, do you think, that helped it stick around for over 30 years, having just wrapped up production on the fifth installment? I think the subspecies films, probably their enduring appeal has a lot to do with the kind of authenticity of the locations. The score of the first film was like a really kind of evocative and emotional score. I think Anas Hove as Radu is like, you know, a creation unto itself as far as vampire movies go. And the relationship between Radu and uh, Michelle, Denise Duff's Michelle, just kind of opens up the movie into like a, not just a vampire killing people movie, but a, a, a very twisted romance so I think the combination of all of those ingredients, you know, sort of surprises me, too. And I'm super happy to see that those movies have some kind of staying appeal, you know, but I have to think that it has to do with those actors, those locations. The fact that we put a lot of uh, uh, filmmaking energy into making them as beautiful and interesting looking as they could be, too. It's just very hypnotic, I think. Subspecies 5, okay, it's done. It's out now. It's on streaming platforms. If people want to go watch it, where can they do so? Where can they find it? And tell us a little bit more about the film. Subspecies 5 is available for the moment on Screenbox, Amazon Prime, and on uh, Full Moon Features uh, website that also is on Amazon Prime and soon to be on Tubi, I imagine. The DVDs and Blu-rays will go on sale, I think, uh, July 15th. So, yeah, check it out if you're a fan of subspecies or if you're curious about subspecies. It's a real 
kick-ass story of the evolution of Radu from human to vampire. So you completed Subspecies 5. It's out now, available to stream. What's next? What can people expect from Ted Nicolau in the coming months? In the coming months, probably uh, radio silence as I sit here and try to write another screenplay. I have this uh, comedy monster movie screenplay that we're hoping that we can uh, raise some financing for. I'm working on a story to turn into a screenplay that I could work with Honest Hove and uh, Stasha Nikolic, who was in uh, Subspecies 5. So, yeah, I'm going to stay as busy as I can. Ted, if people want to find you on social media, how can they do so? Oh, I'm uh, easy to find on Facebook. I'm easy to find on Instagram, Ted Nicolau. Ted Nicolau everywhere. Vimeo, Ted Nicolau. You can see some of my various uh, works there. Ted Nicolau has been my guest. Ted, thank you so much for your time today. We got to do it again sometime. Cool. Okay, thanks a lot, David. It's nice talking to you. Massacre Radio. Big, big thanks to our guests today, Seeger Dixon and Ted Nicolau. This has been Massacre Radio. Thank you for listening. Join us next week when we speak with John Rhodes as we get to the bottom of the whole reptilian humanoids thing that's been going around. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. We'll see you then. Take care now. <laughs>